So here we are with Eva again, and we're continuing on post coffee grinder. Yeah, I'm trying to remember where we were. <laughs> we were in Guyana, and oh. the third time. Yeah. Okay. So this is now um, just developing um, a new program in um, secure livelihoods. So my role was really the you know the situational research and. Uh, looking at what would work and what wouldn't work and developing recommendations around that. But I was just, I was really happy that VSO actually took it on board. Again, it was before the merger, so it was VSO, took it on board and um, did uh, develop a program from that and also hired a program manager. So for me, I mean, that's just so satisfying that you know, these things don't gather dust on a shelf, but they actually... Um, things happen, and uh, yeah, no, it's great for so, me. I love it. So we go from the rock doctor to somebody that's worked in secure li livelihoods and diaspora, yeah. and um, this that first volunteer experience somewhat seems like it's changed changed a lot for you. Well, in your life, yeah, maybe um, in the sense that it helped facilitate a career change because effectively that's what it was. But I have to say also, you know, I mean, I love geology. And the other thing is, uh, you know, by the time you're doing, um, you know, you're a project geologist with the GSC, I mean, there's so many transferable skills. This yes. doesn't come from nowhere. Yes. And, um, and I was very socially active and uh, involved um, before that as well. So even before I went the first time to Guyana, I was in contact with the program manager, or sorry, with the country director. And also with the, the my line manager, future line manager at GGMC, trying to really figure out what was going on and how the world displacement was meant to be effective for you know poverty and disadvantage, which is uh, whatever mission statement. Of so were all of those short-term placements? Were they all three months, or how long were they? No, the, well the initial. The initial placement, uh, I had committed to two years, and I ended up staying one year and then doing the in-country transfers. So I was still in Guyana, and uh, at that point, well, at that point, there were certainly some, you know, uh, there's some difficulties in with the Guyana program that I don't want to get into all the details of it, but the upshot was that I, I left after maybe a couple of months in the program office, mainly because they shut down the program that I was doing research on. It was, you know, it was a time of change in VSO, and they were really trying to implement a new strategic plan, and a lot of things were being shaken up, I, I think, for the better, ultimately. But it, um, you know, it wasn't an easy process. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And then um, the second time I went back for six months. Okay. Yeah. And then the last time I went back for four months, but I also continued to work at home in Calgary also uh, for a couple, well, it's probably maybe two or three months that uh, to finish up the work and as a distance placement so that was actually still an official recognition I was a bit slow getting off on that because when I came home it took me a couple days I was thinking oh my god this is the worst jet lag I've ever had oh, although dear. the time difference wasn't huge and then I realized actually I'd come home with dengue fever <laughs> oh really yeah and I knew it was dengue fever because others had had it and in fact uh, even after I left others came down with it even in the VSO office so, you know it's like one mosquito was buzzing around getting all of us <laughs> oh and reinfecting every art oh my goodness yeah and, and what was the treatment for that I can't remember well, what it is well there's, there's really there really isn't a treatment um, 
you kind of have to ride it out. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I guess if you develop hemorrhagic fever, there's all kinds of things that you do. But yeah. in my case, I just had to, whatever, take Tylenol and take it easy. So oh. I had a pretty mild, a mild um, version of it. Oh, which that's is good. good. Yeah. So now recently you did another assignment and you went to China. Yeah. And so you were in Beijing? I was based in Beijing, yeah. I did um, travel also to Yunnan in the, in the southwest of China. Yeah. But the base was Beijing. Yeah. Is that was four months? That was a four months placement. You know, when I was offered it, it was meant to be two months. And I just thought, this uh, this doesn't make sense. How can anyone do this in two months? I mean, go to a new environment, a language that is as foreign to me as Chinese, and, uh, you know, not being familiar with the situation or anything. Yeah, so I actually asked them to increase it to four months, and they were able to do that. So, so earlier today, we had a very uh, interesting discussion about your work in Beijing, and that was a really, it was capacity building for donors, um, finding, finding, uh, let me help yeah, you, yeah, let me help please, you, I you're struggling, I can tell. So many, we have so many amazing return volunteers that yeah. sometimes I just go, okay, how do I describe yeah, that one? Yeah, no, the donors are the donors, and I, I can't build their capacity, they either yeah, donate yeah, or they don't. Yeah. So, but uh, no, I was actually again based in the program office, and um, I was uh, it was I was called a funding advisor. Oh, okay. And what it turned into uh, is that really we needed um, a much more strategic approach to fundraising, both within the program office, but also also. Uh, partner organizations who I was also meant to be supporting. And this was all within the HIV AIDS program, so, um, yeah, so I had to familiarize myself with them and, um, you know, I did some donor mapping, tried to match up what would be appropriate or potential donor agencies to to chase, but also just looking at strategies. And for example, when I visited some of the partners, especially in UNAM, it became clear um, that they could do a lot with, like, for example, community-based fundraising, but also resource mobilization. You know, um, when I say that, I mean the fundraising in the broader sense. So they they never considered in-kind donations as fundraising, or volunteer work, or you know, mobile, they do a lot of events, for example, the, um, you know, Candlelight Memorial for HIV AIDS, but they didn't really recognize how that links with fundraising and profile and community mobilization. So, bless you. Thank you. <laughs> so, th trying to think about it in a bigger picture and doing something oh, I see. comprehensive, okay. yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of one aspect, and then, you know, they can be applying for grants. There's proposal-based fundraising, and there's what you can do at community level, and really recognizing that it ties in. You know, it's not something you do in isolation. It actually links with um, building your own organizational capacity, and that's the only way it can be sustainable. Mm. And, um, and tying in with the networking, building your profile, being effective, but also recording how you're being effective so you can show the donors that you're being effective. Uh -huh. So all yes. these things kind of interlinked. Yeah. So we were talking earlier about um, HIV AIDS in China, and you were saying that there were certain regions that had a higher um, infection rate than others. That yeah. 
without yeah. having to name them. <laughs> Maybe they get sensitive about that. Do they? Well, I think this is in. I mean, this is in the public domain. Yes. So perfect. whether sensitive or not, it's in, in the domain. And actually, I think it's good to, to publicize it. I mean, uh, it's really um, the the big. Uh, I guess the big inroads of AIDS in China were through two main means, as far as I know. One, one was through um, really poor uh, blood donation practices. You know, they had a commercial blood donation system, and of course uh, that attracted a lot of poor people to donate blood. And then they were, you know, extracting the plasma, taking the rest of the whatever blood stuff. I'm not a medical professional. I'm a rock doctor, so <laughs> the rest of the blood stuff and mixing it together and re-injecting into the the blood donors to help their recovery. Of course, what they didn't realize is uh, they were actually infecting them with, with HIV. Oh my goodness! So there was, yeah, that was a, a huge uh, area of um, HIV infection. Um, quite early in China, uh, and you know, then it got past, you know, well, people didn't know, so there are many children who got HIV AIDS from their mothers and so on, mainly in some of the poor, poor areas of Anhui and um, Henan, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. The other big uh, HIV uh, inroads into China was uh, actually through Yunnan in the southwest, because it borders on Burma. Um, I shouldn't guess at my geology degree, sorry, my geology too much. <laughs> but uh, and the very northern tip was uh, borders on Tibet. But in any event, it's kind of part of the Golden Triangle. And um, so um, IDU, uh, intravenous, intravenous drug use, was a big, um, uh, I guess, HIV AIDS transmission um, mechanism in that area. And, you know, the, I guess, well, you look at maps of, HIV spread in Yunnan, and you see that actually the border areas get red hot very quickly, and then it spreads to the you know some of the urban centers, and basically spreads out from there. So yeah, but now um, just normal sexual activity is the primary means of yeah means of spreading HIV. So you're the first alumni I've met that continues. Well, actually, there are many that continue their work after they leave, but you're actually completing a project in a, in a, using, tell me a bit about that. You call it distance. Yeah, distance uh, placement. But yes. So it's uh, out-of-country placement. Yeah. yeah. I guess, uh, well, I did this in Gu with Guyana as well. And now I'm doing it in China. I guess I have a, a great deal of difficulty finishing things in country. Eh? Oh, or maybe you have a great difficulty in letting it go, right? Yeah, maybe that too. Yeah, still, still, yeah, it helps the transition. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm so I'm just at home, um, basically just finishing up some of the. Well, they they wanted uh, some you know, capacity building tools, fundraising tools, like concept note templates, this kind of thing. And I really, in the context of a four-month placement in China, I just simply didn't have time. And it makes sense, actually, to do this at home. Um, actually, I think it's an area that, you know, VSO could make more use of yes. um, in, in a very structured way. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, because not everything has to be done in-country. And, you know, I'm still in... Uh, more or less direct email communication with the um, with the program office, and if, if we need to, we can talk on the phone. 
so still very connected. Yeah, and still okay. supporting even the volunteers and their placements. I can still support them this way. So, That's yeah. wonderful because I think we might be doing more and more of this kind of stuff. It's very sensible, yeah. So you go to China. This time you're not in an English-based country. Did you learn? How, how did you communicate? Oh, in Chinese, of course, in my perfect Chinese. Oh, do you have perfect Chinese? <laughs> well, just some other people. She's got have. a great smile on her face some, right now. Some people, for some reason, have difficulty in understanding me. But <laughs> Where no, did you learn it? I, I actually worked really hard uh, to pick up some Chinese. I I actually, you know, I was really daunted by the idea of this Chinese placement. In yes. Part because, um, because of the language barrier. And it's not like, you know, trying to learn a Latin or European language, Latin-based, with uh, a Roman script. It's uh, completely, it's like going to whatever, support. Mars. Support, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, um, so I guess I was so daunted by the idea that actually, before I left, I, I spent like two months of every day working with audio and uh, written materials, oh including my. some internet-based things. It's amazing what's available, and some stuff from the library. And I was just like completely obsessive, compulsive about trying to pick up a little bit. And I, I continued with that in China because it was much more gratifying doing it there because people appreciated it so much. They did, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, and, and it just... It's amazing how empowering it is to be able to like speak a little sentence in Chinese and have someone understand you. Like, this is the biggest high in the whole world. I think my first, my big eye-opening sentence was I was in the grocery store, which is very challenging because things aren't described in English. So if you can't like see and recognize what it is, you really don't know. And I had to ask them where the salt was, and they understood me. Okay, so this is really cool. Tell, tell, ask me that question. And is it uh, which which language did you actually learn? Well, it's it's Mandarin. Mandarin. So okay. yeah, it's the national language. Oh, you're gonna you're really putting me on the spot. No, now. come all on, those, let's, let's all go. Those Mandarin speakers out there are kind of ready to criticize. Oh yeah, but you know what? We ha you had the guts to actually do this, and then had the guts to even ask. Where is the salt? What yeah. does that sound like in Mandarin, approximately? And, and uh, yeah, I, I, in my very basic Chinese, let me say something like, yen uh, zainar. Uh, but I think I said it more politely than that. I said, qing wen, which is, please tell me, or something like that. Okay. Yen zainar. Oh, there you go. And they responded quite happily. Yeah, they seemed to understand me. They pointed me to the salt at least. Oh and my was, goodness! Uh, yeah, I was like totally blown away. <laughs> like, oh my god, they understood what I said. So, I often ask um, alumni to tell us one interesting story from all their placements, something that stands out in your mind. And asking for salt and having the courage to do that—that's pretty—that's pretty special and funny. But another one. Uh. Places you stayed, people you met. Uh. Yeah, I made so many uh, friends. I, I found it, uh, it was a really neat place. And, you know, because the actually younger people um, are more likely to have some English, I actually made a lot of friends who were considerably younger than me, like 25 or 30. Um, and I just found that really, really nice. Uh, and I think, in part, we hit it off because I like to do stuff, like go hiking and whatever. Mm. So, yeah, so... 
that was really, really nice. Um, I'm just trying. I'm just. I'm also looking at your beautiful <coughs> hair, and I was wondering whether, whether in China they thought they would. They I would think they thought it was ancient. Ancient. My, my hair, by the way, because you can't see it, I'll describe it. It's not totally um, black or blonde anymore. It's, it's a quite kind of silvery gray, I guess. Beautiful. And uh, I, when I went to Kenya, because I have a. Uh, gray streak at the front of my head. They call me Mase, which means old one. Yeah. Well, so mm. you probably got the same, eh? I think they they <laughs> might have thought I was pretty old, depending what I was wearing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And by the way, you're not looking at her. She is as fit as a fiddle. <laughs> but but uh, you know, I, older old people in China get quite a lot of respect. So I actually it wasn't a big uh, big deal. I actually kind of liked it, but it was a big contrast to Guyana, where I don't know people didn't recognize that my hair had actually gone gray, and they kept calling me blondie. Oh, right. <laughs> I was just thinking the uh, Spanish word, but they don't speak Spanish. There, it's calocha. It's uh, blonde. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you would. Yeah, this was English. <laughs> yeah, blondie. Yeah. I don't know where they got that from, but I guess. And what's what's unique about your situation is that you have a family, you have a um, partner, a spouse in Calgary, and yes. uh, you keep uh, leaving. <laughs> what happens? Does he come along sometimes? Uh, he did. He did visit in Guyana. Um, this most recent placement was a bit too short, and you know because he has his own work commitments, it didn't really fit in. Uh -huh. Yeah, but yeah. So I, I keep presenting it to him as an opportunity for him to travel and have this um, incredibly uh, well-informed guide yeah. to facilitate things. <laughs> <laughs> that is so exciting. So all in all, if I were to add up your all your experiences. What do I get to? Like something like almost four years? Well, in service? In one, long, two. Yeah, not really. It's, I, I think my Guyana placements in total added up to two years. Yeah. Okay. So I did my two year placement in installment plan. <laughs> installment yeah. plan. And then this most recent was uh, four so months in China. So. Two and two, about two and a half years. Yeah. I met a volunteer in Kenya that had uh, volunteered for 12 years. Wow. Yeah, you meet some people that uh, <laughs> just stay and stay. Yeah. And, and there's always, in all of these places, there's some BSO that just went native, you know. They just um, <laughs> stayed on, and regardless of, you know, VSO placement or not. Yeah. They either married, married there or, you know, just decided to stay and do their own thing or work or whatever. Yeah. Well, on, on behalf of everybody at QSO VSO, QSO and VSO, I wanted to thank you for your placements and for your work and hope that, that the work you've done is sustainable and that uh, I think it's amazing that you're continuing this out-of-country kind of placement and that you will join us at reunions and help uh, people in Alberta understand about our work. Any last words? Yeah, I, I'd say, you know, I mean, you're thanking me, but... Wow, I think what volunteers get out of this is just incredible. I mean, it's a, a can be a life-changing and life-enriching experience. It is just really, really um, wonderful. And, uh, yeah, um, so, yeah, I think ultimately it really is, uh, I mean, what is it? We say sharing skills, and it truly it is about sharing. It's a, a two-way thing for sure. I mean, I, I think I've gotten more out of this than I've given. Many, many uh, returned volunteers tell us that, and 
and I think that that's the special part when they come home to Canada they're able to understand other countries other skills other people and they just widen like you can ask for salt in Chinese now. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's really a useful skill. I'm sure I'm going to use it many times. In Vancouver, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eva. Okay, you're very welcome.